Hi, this is Steve Hargadine. Welcome to the Future of Education. It's Thursday, October 8, 2009, and my guests tonight are Jeff Applegate, Alex Chisholm, and Scott Osterweil. Scott, did I say your name correctly? I can't hear you. We can see you moving your lips. He, he said that you're. He said that you're the among the few who've gotten it right. Yes, oh, you've gotten it right. Well, with a name like Hargadon, I'm sensitive to that. Hey, we're sure glad to have you here, gentlemen. This should be a really fun night. I'm going to do a little bit of uh, um, overview work before we get going. Here are some pictures of you that will come back up on the screen in a moment. But Thanks. you're getting you're getting to see them live. Okay, so uh, Future of Education is sponsored by Learn Central and Illumini. Learn Central is the uh, project I work on. It's a social network for educators. A lot of fun. Uh, please feel free to come. It has Illuminate baked in. What we're doing tonight you can do for free in Learn Central. Help you connect with other educators. Uh, live free webinars, all kinds of fun stuff. So please visit learncentral.org. Coming up on Future of Education and Conversations.net, some very fun events. Now Howard Reingold's doing a four-part Howard Brainstorm series, which should be a lot of fun. Uh, October 20th, SRI on social networking. Tim Westergren from Pandora on November 3rd, talking about changes in music and licensing. November 11th, Rethinking Education in the Age of Technology. November 12th, Larry Cuban from Stanford, retired from Stanford. Lots of interesting things to say about education and technology. Uh, more of Howard. Uh, Dan Willingham, Why Students Don't Like School, Bob Compton on Too Many Minutes, Curtis Bonk on The World is Open, Angela Myers on Classroom Habitudes. Lots of fun stuff. Dennis Lipke was canceled this week, actually postponed because of uh, uh, some things he was going through at the college they were opening. So he is rescheduling. We don't have a date for that yet, but you can see we have more fun stuff coming up. Okay, so if this is your first time at Illuminate, we want to make sure that you know how to participate. This is a live and interactive environment. We're hoping that you will um, put notes in the chat, uh, raise your hand, uh, help us have a fun evening tonight. You can see the list of participants in the upper left. Uh, you can, um, if you scroll over a name, you'll see more information if they put it in. Uh, below that box are some emoticons or ways of participating without necessarily speaking. Uh, to the right, a green check and a red X would be for yes and no if one of our guests wants to ask a question. Then to the left, you'll see a clapping hand, a smiley face, a confused look, or a thumbs down. Those are ways of expressing your feelings about something. If you want to grab the mic and ask a question, go ahead and click on that hand with the green up arrow. I think tonight will be relatively informal, so you're welcome to do that at any time. We'll give you the mic. If you think you might want to take the mic to ask a question, do be sure to go up to Tools, Audio, and run the Audio Setup Wizard so you make sure your microphone is working. Um, below the participant window is an area where you can send text chats. You'll see the chat taking place right now. Uh, you are welcome to send a text message directly to somebody else. You'll see a drop-down box that lets you do that if there's someone you want to send a private message to. But do be aware that the moderators actually see all messages, whether they're private or not. So nothing is truly private. Okay, so I'm going to give you a chance now to interact right off the bat. This is a map of the world. I'm going to give everyone permissions to modify this map and look for the little wand with the red star at the end to the left of the map, click on that, and then click on where you're listening from. And I get to click somewhere unique for me because I'm in Chicago. 
in this Doubletree Hotel. Flying home tomorrow, so I don't normally get to click there, but looks like we've got a on my small network there, I can't see the full map. But looks like we've got a nice audience from a variety of places. Who's uh, swimming up there in the ocean in the North right. Pole? <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Okay, so this is a really fun event. Uh, generated a lot of interest before the show. Uh, I noticed the number of people tweeting about it, retweeting uh, this, this particular event. Jeff, you kind of organized this and um, spearheaded it. So could I get you to start by introducing yourself and your uh, compatriots, uh, and maybe have each of you uh, talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing and what, what's brought you to this project? Sure, I will do the introductions and then hand it off largely to Alex and Scott. Um, I am with the Learning Games Network kind of as their outreach coordinator, which means uh, what I do for them is try to kind of distill a lot of the information from a lot of their different projects and help get the word out to folks about what it is they're doing. Uh, but when it comes to the actual doing of it, these two guys are, you know, kind of the head honchos in a lot of different ways. Alex is our executive director, um, and he is largely the producer on the projects that we're doing. Um, the Isle project, which I'm sure these two will talk to you a lot more about, is the big production going on right at the moment. Um, and Scott Osterweil uh, is with MIT Education Arcade, and he is largely involved from the programming angle of what we're doing. And I'm going to actually hand off to them to do a much more thorough uh, introduction of their backgrounds and what it is specifically in terms of the nuts and bolts they're doing on the different projects we've got going. So Alex, probably to start. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, so it, it, I, I appreciate, uh, Steve, your, your welcoming us here. And I'm glad that so many people from all over have, have been able to sign in. Um, you know, Scott and I have been working together the last few years with uh, a couple of really, um, uh, actually a handful of extraordinary scholars working in the learning sciences, creative design, technical areas, computer science, um, both here at MIT and then, um, you know, at a variety of companies uh, around, around the country and, uh, and certainly internationally at this point, as uh, you'll see some from, as you'll see or get a sense of from some of our projects. Um, the Learning Games Network was really established um, following the work that, that we've been doing and looking at how uh, games could be used to uh, create new modes and new models for, uh, for teaching and learning. Um, we don't look at, at games, obviously, as being a full-on solution uh, to teach everything, but games serving as a tool in, in much the same way that a film or a textbook or any other kind of educational resource would be used uh, to support uh, to support uh, what what's happening in both formal and informal uh, settings. Uh, we've been, you know, as the research emerged through the MIT Education Arcade and with several other uh, of our colleagues uh, at, at various universities. We, we realized that we needed to move beyond what was happening in a university, which is its primary goal is research and teaching, and really try to make uh, some uh, uh, inroads into to changing the marketplace and informing product design on a more global scale, as well as supplying or providing teachers or developing with teachers materials that they could use 
uh, in the classroom and with their students uh, around games. Uh, it's a, as much as we all see the potential of it, uh, there are some very real uh, there are real issues in terms of how you develop, design, produce, and then ultimately support these kinds of uh, these media in in classrooms. Um, so that's you know our goal is is really to help um, create meaningful interventions, not just uh, you know at the end user state, but also at the at the beginning of the pipeline, working with uh, with producers and designers to to really uh, improve and in uh, change the, the the type of approach that that people have been using in the the quote unquote edutainment space or or making games that are uh, typically more skill and uh, a drill and drill and kill for for lack of a better term uh, how we really exploit and leverage the media over the course of the next 50 minutes we'll certainly uh, layer in a lot more detail so that, that people get a sense of how we look at uh, at the medium but that's uh, I think generally in, in broad terms. Uh, what we're trying to do. Uh, I come to this from a, a, a perspective where having uh, worked uh, not only here at MIT in comparative media studies with Henry Jenkins and Kurt Squire, Eric Klopfer, and, and obviously Scott, uh, I've had uh, just really wonderful and meaningful opportunities to work at places like Leapfrog, Sony, uh, Sony Pictures, Imageworks, uh, NBC News, uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company, working with uh, working with partners to develop um, scalable uh, products or, or services in a variety of areas that are very diverse but all trying to address the education challenge. So I come from, uh, I come at this from with an interesting perspective, I think anyway, um, on having both been from the research side as well as from uh, the uh, commercial side. Okay. So I'm going to jump in just a sec, Scott, for one second. And yeah, there's not much I want to add. Um, I guess maybe just uh, my own background. I had a the, um, the good fortune to simultaneously work for an educational R&D firm uh, that's a, uh, a not-for-profit that did a lot of uh, peer research, while also getting the opportunity to to design some commercial games, um, and. Uh, that gave me a chance to sort of understand both sides of the fence. Um, and before I did game design, I worked in television production. So I guess I'm rooted in, in unlike a lot of people coming out of academ academics, I was rooted in the idea that you had to make a product and it had to get out there and it had to get seen where it, where it wasn't worth doing. But I also came to understand uh, the perspective of researchers and what they were trying to do in terms of improving education. Um, and what I was struck by was the disconnect, the fact that most uh, serious gamers and game developers sort of despair of school as being a hopeless environment and, and therefore don't even think about, um, and did I just disappear? I had my, my browser just went uh, blank. Did you lose me? No, no, you're, you're okay. there. I can't just, see it anymore, just, but I'll keep talking. Just remember that anything um, you guys do as moderators happens for everybody. Uh, anyway, um, they just sort of, they were not interested in talking to schools or in doing, having anything to do with education because everything that had been called education, well, most things that have been called education just stunk. Um, but I also understood that where researchers really had a better feel for what goes on in schools and what the challenges are of actually reaching kids in the here and now. Um, and because there was a history of games, there's always been a history of games that really do sort of uh, hit 
hit our hearts and minds at the same time that really are uh, fun and exciting games that also challenge us to think. There have always been games like that that tended to fly under the radar, but I, I guess I've always believed that there was a place for those games and that they, ought, that they ought to be playing a more prominent role in education. They're succeeding in the entertainment market. Usually they're not usually the biggest sellers, but they're out there. Um, but the, some of those forms and modes ought to be applied in education as well. So that's really been uh, what's motivated me. As a, and I just, just clarify, Jeff, um, I don't have much to do with programming. I'm really a designer. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't write any code at all. Uh, but um, I, I, for those of you who don't know games, I think of the designer as the screenwriter, or the people who actually describe what's going to happen, even if we don't actually run the camera. So I'm going to go ahead and put that uh, last link up in the web tour. Just to remember, moderators, uh, guess. So I guess uh, kick it back to Steve. Any questions? Just make sure that you know that if you uh, if you close that window down, it will close down for everyone. But are you seeing that uh, about page come up now in your browsers? And then it, it sounds, uh, Scott, a little bit like maybe you're not hearing my audio. So are um, you sharing the audio with um, Alex. Uh, now I'm hearing it. Okay. Okay. Great. So is this a full-time job for all three of you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, depending on what full-time is. I'm uh, yeah, full-time as a startup. So for, for me, it's somewhere between 70 to 90 hours, depending on whether or not we're traveling. Do you want to talk a little bit about for me. Who's, who's, um, who's behind this and finding it? I do divide my time between um, the Ed Arcade and Learning Games Network. So neither one is full-time, but collectively they're more than full-time. So who's behind the Endeavor financially? Um, well, it, you know, it, since we're a 501c3 nonprofit, um, you know, our initial, uh, you know, our initial uh, business model was really uh, about bootstrapping uh, before uh, we received our our first infusion of support from uh, the Hewlett, uh, the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. Uh, they've given us a, a grant to develop the language learning platform, uh, uh, which we can talk about through uh, through this uh, through the interview, but. Uh, as part of our work and as part of our design activities, we, we've, we've been uh, working on a variety of projects that have gone to various foundations and uh, other uh, partners that, that we work with, corporate uh, as well as other nonprofits. But uh, our, the initial funding is a, is a grant very specifically around uh, this kind of global language learning platform that we've started to uh, it, do an evaluation of in China. Uh, it's a it's an application, a comic book with games, online comic book and games done with Coastline Community College in Southern California, also with support from the Hewlett Foundation, uh, to help middle school students in Western China uh, learn uh, learn English. So. Uh, the, the, the initial phase of funding is from there. Uh, we have a variety of other partners that we work with that, uh, that also, uh, I guess, in a work for hire model uh, pay us. We have other uh, relationships where uh, we're either consulting or performing uh, development or design services with groups that also contribute to what we do. Um, but it's a it's a typical startup. I mean, if you if you look at the foundation grant, is the first infusion of of uh, probably first round venture funding, 
Uh, we're in the process now of, of figuring out what the, the next round and, and what the diversity of our, our investment portfolio looks like. Uh, but we're, we're less than a year old, uh, I think, at this point. And you are working on an open strategy, right? Absolutely. The, uh, the, the language learning platform uh, is, uh, is a completely open educational resources uh, project. It is um, that obviously being funded by the Hewlett Foundation plugs into a lot of the, the strategy that they've done, not only obviously with OpenCourseWare here at MIT, but also uh, on a variety of other fronts. Uh, the, you know, our aim is, is not only just for the sake of um, you know, what teachers and students can use and, and others can leverage uh, from an open perspective, but also to help to catalyze by, by the fact that our, our that the back end of our systems are open, uh, what kinds of, of uh, innovations we can catalyze with, uh, with more developers and more designers actually working with stuff that we've put a lot of thought into, uh, into putting together. So um, it, it benefits not only the front end in terms of of what we make available, how we make it available, and, and the pricing of it for, for end users, teachers, and students, but also ultimately uh, the kinds of people and the diversity of people that we can bring to the development production endeavor. Yeah, so to amplify, um, to me one of the big issues is that uh, the standard game industry is no more, it runs a lot like Hollywood and is no more innovative. and that. Um, Learning games uh, require constant innovation. Um, it's easy to make bad stuff. It's hard to make good stuff. And so for a long time, I've been thinking that we need something that looks more like the independent film market and that really part of what we're doing by building these platforms are really trying to create environments in which lots of energetic small players can begin to uh, put more in the water, try stuff out, put it before an audience, gradually bootstrap their own development. Um, and uh, basically, therefore, one of our real big goals is to build this community of independent developers. There are lots of kids coming right out of college who may in the long term want to work on AAA games, um, but who all remember the stuff that they learned from, from while playing around on computers and have visions of making cool learning applications. There are also t aggressive teachers out there who've been who have the bug and who want to make, make stuff uh, that replicates what they do in the classroom. And we really ought to find a space for that, for those people. Um, to, I actually think it's a market that can, that can uh, have a net surplus over time, but, it's, but it can't be doing it by trying to do Hollywood models of what profitability looks like. So we are getting some questions in the chat before I, I go to them, which I'd like to, to do some right away, I think. Um, are there some guiding philosophies here? Are there some sort of passionate uh, expressions that you have of uh, what's really important? Yeah, uh, and, and by the way, if I'm a little slow on the uptake, it's, this is like playing a video game. I've got to turn off my audio and turn on my mic when I speak, So, and it takes two hands to do that. Anyway, um, yeah, for those of you in the education field, I guess I'm a, a solid constructivist and I'm pretty passionate about the notion that um, the best learning happens through exploration and construction. Um, and so uh, from my money, games in which the player, uh, uh, where the player actually sets the agenda in lots of ways um, that, that are more open-ended, 
Um, from my, I think that a game that starts out with instructions is almost by definition a bad game. Uh, any game worth its salt, the player actually explores the environment to figure out what the game is um, and gradually forms model, intellectual models from playing the game as to how the game works and gradually constructs understanding. Now, having said that, I don't believe that we can learn everything we need to learn from the game. Um, I think that the power of those games is greatest when it's coupled with good uh, instruction, whether from a teacher or a tutor or a mentor. So I really think that the right model are games that get kids to explore and be excited, um, but that also has hooks to, um, to educators, so that educators can sort of leverage what the kids experienced in the game um, and use it uh, in the classroom, whether that's a formal classroom or a museum or homeschooling, that doesn't matter so long as there is this connection and this opportunity for the learner to connect. And not just, by the way, with mentors, but also with other learners. Um, some of the games we do, we actually build in a chat channel into the game in the hope that kids will actually start comparing notes about what their thinking is. So are there games, computer or not, that you see being used that already reflect some portion of this very well. What, what, where have you seen this done well? Um, I, I would say uh, the strongest, some of the best work was done in the early 90s. Um, in the, believe it or not, in, in the, the early days of edutainment, there were a lot of games that were ex extremely exploratory. Um, I think about uh, Incredible Machine, SimCity, Manhole, which is done by the guys who then did MIST. I mean, MIST is actually a good example of, uh, although it, it doesn't sort of focus on academic content, it, that kind of uh, system could. Um, we worked on a series of games called Zumbinis that were all about math and logic that I think uh, got at that stuff. Um, that tended to disappear from the CD market in the late 90s. Um, now it's starting to show up on the web. Um, and I, I, a lot of these are currently games that aren't specifically pitched toward learning, but could be. And they include World of Goo, Crayon Physics, Bridge Builder. Um, we're do, we've done a game. Uh, I always, you know, I'm always hesitant to mention our stuff because I don't see this as a venue to largely toot our own horn. But we've done a middle school uh, pre-algebra math game called La Lure of the Labyrinth, which is now online and free, and it's a large, long-form sort of puzzle adventure game that kids can actually play over 20 hours. Um, and it comes with, from, from the kids, the kid-facing side, it's just a game, but a teacher who logs on can actually access lots of learning materials, um, lots of ways to, to use it in the classroom, um, while also giving teachers encouragement to let the kids play it in their own informal time um, so that it continues to exist as a game, not just as a lesson plan. Um, clearly, it's what we're trying to do with the language uh, that I build it. I think another really important point to underscore here is, is as much as we look at, at, at games that have been either specifically designed or uh, and are, are marketed for, for education, uh, certainly some of the ones that Scott uh, listed and the ones that I've, I'm watching show up on the chat window, uh, are, are all uh, notable. We also look at, you know, one of the other things that we really try to underscore is the, the, the level to which commercial games can also be used um, to, in, in the classroom to either um, 
uh, illustrate a point or create uh, a, a, an access ramp for teachers and students for uh, something that's either engaging or relevant, uh, excuse me, relevant, um, and that, that can be uh, used as, as preparation for future learning. Uh, just to get the kids or the students thinking through um, challenges that, that while not specifically designed for, for learning, um, are still uh, highly uh, instructive. So um, an example that I've been talking about recently is the use of Boomblock's uh, Bash Party uh, as a possible tool to help kids understand physics, uh, inertia, momentum, gravity, uh, different uh, environments and settings. Just given the way that that game is constructed on the front end with its 400 levels where kids are, are trying to, uh, those of you who haven't played it, uh, an IGN reviewer basically calls it uh, Django with Dynamite. It's, it's really uh, using the Wii controller for kids to, to blow these structures apart and to, uh, to really experiment with, again, different forces and different um, strategies for, for for, again, dis destroying these structures. I think the other thing that is um, really cool about this game is that on the flip side, uh, kids can actually go in and create, apply what they've, what they've learned uh, in creating new modes. So all of this is within a commercial game. Um, but games like this, Civilization is, is one that is kind of on the fence. Um, thinking about how you use fantasy sports to get kids thinking about uh, statistics or uh, large data sets. Uh, there, there are a variety of these, these uh, uh, titles out there and that, that teachers are starting to use. Um, that we're also very passionate about. We think that it not only informs, uh, it not only helps teachers now with what they can buy at scale, at retail, or, or in, the, in the marketplace, but it also helps designers and, and others think through the different genre types and the different kinds of, of creative and, and interesting ways to engage kids. So I lost Alex's audio. I don't know if anybody else did, but it's paused for me. It looks like maybe he's going to bounce out and come back in. So while that's taking place, I do want to let you know that if the chat's flying by a little quickly for you, go up to the third icon on the top from the left and select the wide layout. It's much easier to watch the chat that way. I should have told you that earlier. Uh, you can also go up to view layouts and also uh, you have the option to select the wide layout there. Uh, while we wait for Alex to kind of reconnect, it looks like Scott's also, I get this little cue on my part that says the two of them, the two of them have dropped off. Jeff, there was a lot of talk about uh, Second Life uh, some pages ago in the chat. Uh, what, is there a view of Second Life in terms of its positive or negative aspects uh, from your team? I need to turn your audio on. I was saying wait a minute because I was in a different screen looking for it and had to get back here to where I can find to turn it on. Um, that unfortunately is one we're going we're gonna to need to wait for those two to come back up because um, that's not something that I've been privy to from down here. Um, the big thrust of what I've been doing, the reason I'm behind on some of this other stuff, has been working on outreach on what, uh, the design core, which uh, I'm not sure they've talked about a whole lot yet. So in terms of the actual production and development, that's something that I'm only tangentially involved in, so I'm less familiar with it than, than either Alex or Scott. Okay, fair enough. So we'll wait for them to come back. I'm not seeing them yet. Uh, in the meantime, um, do you want to describe what the IO project is? 
Sure. Um, the Isle project is um, kind of the flagship development project that they're working on uh, under this Hewlett grant. Um, it is um, being developed as an online gaming world universe that the world is being called Xenos. Uh, and it will be a destination site online where there will be games developed by um, learning, learning Games Network. Um, that will be kind of the foundational games, but then it will also be open source for other game designers to join us and develop as well. Um, and we will of course be a filter in that and there will be standards that we will have developed. But a large part of what we're developing is a back-end database for language so that we can map language objects, whether written, spoken, read, um, with um, from language to language. The, the two current thrusts right at the moment are Spanish and Chinese um, based on different grants that have come in to um, fund the project. Uh, the Chinese version of it is for learning English uh, by Chinese speakers. That has been launched uh, as a beta in China at this point. The other thrust is for learning English as a second language for Spanish speakers. Um, and that is still in development in beta. We're hoping to get that launched, I believe, by the end of this year. Um, once we develop the back end for the linguistic portion of that, the games can draw on that so that as you are playing a game, it can pull in language objects appropriate to the level of the student. So another aspect of the back end development will be and a portal to enter for teachers of language where they can go in and they can actually register students to participate uh, in IELTS and they can set where their class is in terms of what they're learning linguistically. And that way once students come in and join, they can just log in using the accounts that the teacher may have set up for them. And when they go in and play a game, it will be set up to know what language objects, what skills they are working on. So they'll, be, they'll just go in and play the games and the different actual topics that would be pulled in while they're playing will be appropriate to what it is they're studying right at the moment. And then at the same time, they will have assessments from those games. If they win a game, essentially they win a game by having mastered the skill. The level to which they've done that will be recorded within the back-end platform and that can be reported for assessment to the class, the, the teacher on the other end. So, Jeff, I'm going to let you see if there's another way for you to contact um, Alex and Scott because uh, they don't seem to be coming back in. I'm worried that their network is down. They can dial in by telephone. Okay. Tell me how to do that because they tried to call me while I was talking and I knew that doing yet one more thing at the same time <laughs> would completely blow a circuit in me, not in my computer. So turn your mic off and okay. then where you've turned your mic off to the lower right of that is a little handset icon. And if you click on that, it will give you the telephone number and the moderator code to call in on the telephone line. That's the, that's the number to give them. And just give me a nod of the head to make sure that I know that you've got that number. Not yet. Okay, so you see the sliders for the volume. And then once you turn your mic off, you have to, you know, you've, you've uh, you pulled up the box. It should give you a telephone number to and call. And of course, as, as soon as I do that, it, it shut everything down so I didn't hear any of the last couple of minutes of what you said. My apologies. I don't know. So, so did it give you the telephone number and the um, yes. moderator and the code? Yeah. Yes. So just, just give that to them and they can call in that way. And while you're doing that, I'm going to shift gears here 
and um, Trish says the pin that Trish gave in the chat is not for the moderator, so definitely use the moderator pin that we've got. Oh, and Alex is back on. So let's see if I can make him a moderator. Let's see if we get Scott as well. Oh, yeah, and Scott looks like he's come in twice here. I'm going to make you a moderator both times, Scott, just in case. Not quite sure what that is. But we've missed you both. We're glad to have you back. Yay! Hooray! <laughs> and Alex, I, I get a little indicator here that Alex's uh, bandwidth is still slow. And um, it's not, we don't see him back. Alex is coming. Perfect. Uh, he's right. He's right here. We uh, our modem went down. Oh, of course. Murphy's yeah. law. Apologies. Well, so let me. No, no worries. We had um, we had Jeff start to explain to us a little bit about IELTS. I want to I, um, I want to make sure that we move to allowing people to ask questions. Um, and so I have one more that I want to get in before we sort of open the doors. Um, You've been very thoughtful about talking about the role of educational games in education, supporting both formal and informal education. What, kind, what are the common arguments or knee-jerk reactions that you hear when you talk about games in education, and then how do you address those? Um, it's a good question, and I would say that there are sort of reasonable there there are sort of reasonable concerns from teachers, and there are straw men, and the straw men tend to be well. I mean, it's the big thing that we've got to fight in the society at large is the notion that work and play are two different things, um, and that play is ultimately not serious and, and, and of no value. Um, and in reality, I think most good work has a strong element of play in it. Most good learning has a strong element of play in it. Um, and there's a growing body of research uh, that supports that. So the, the really, the way we refute is by showing all the evidence that learning is that play is a critical part of learning in all uh, higher forms of uh, vertebrate life. Um, there's even some speculation that play exists among ants, but um, I won't go there. But in any case, there certainly is, um, there certainly is uh, among, among all vertebrates. And so, and I think reminding people of uh, finding ways of showing, like things like that most scientists actually uh, think of their work as in playful ways, that that's where, that's where they do their best thinking and inventing. Um, so that's the easier argument. Um, I, usually, I usually have a couple PowerPoint slides to make that one. Um, the, um, the ones that are legitimate, I think, are the concern of teachers about uh, the hassles of bringing technology into the classroom. Um, and the very real pressure that are on teachers nowadays to, um, to teach to the tests to standardize tests and uh, to teach mandated curriculum. And I'm very sympathetic to that. Uh, not that it's the right, it's not how schools should be run, but I don't blame the teachers for that. Um, and at, so even one of the issues with good, even good games like Portal or Boom Blocks is just that the technical infrastructure in schools um, just doesn't support that. And so I think that, a, that there, I think, rather than argue against that, that's where I think there's a role for, for specifically designed learning games, which is to really accommodate the realities of the classroom, which means making shorter activities, activities that um, have a very low ramp up, and activities that kids can undertake and then teach the teacher how to use. Um, so rather than tell teachers that uh, they've got to change all their practice all at once, 
I think that those of us who are serious about this stuff have to give them, show them how they can take baby steps. Um, without calling them baby steps, because that's sort of degrading. I mean, but, but show them how they can take small steps toward using games in the classroom and make sure that those games are good enough that the teacher, I think good teachers get it after they've had only a few, uh, a few experiences with games. And so just trust the teachers to adopt this stuff so long as we give them an easy way in. Are there good voices uh, around uh, gaming and education? I'm thinking of John C.D. Brown or James Paul Gee. Is it G or Gee? I, I don't G. know. G. Are, are, these, uh, are th these good voices to listen to, and are there others that you recommend people look, look to for uh, information on this subject? And, yeah, there are a fair number. I mean, uh, Jim G, I guess, is the guy who's, uh, who made it respectable by writing a serious book from a serious education researcher. Um, but it's not, um, it's not all that new. I guess uh, John Suley Brown's a good person. Henry Jenkins, um, who I know you're talking to in a few weeks, um, has played an important role in that, um, in talking to, talking to educators, and also talking, I think, to, pu to public media. I guess that's, on some level, um, we see ourselves as having a role in sort of bridging the, gap, the space between the educational community and uh, the larger community, and particularly the game development community. So, uh, oh, um, other people I just mentioned, Katie Salen is doing incredibly important work um, in a school in New York. She's actually running a new charter school in New York that really takes the principles of gaming as the core of its curriculum. Um, our colleague and partner in, in, uh, in Learning Games Network, Kurt Squire, University of Wisconsin, and his um, wife, Constance Steinkuller, are important in this conversation. Alex, any other people? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's, it's a pretty uh, complicated uh, question. I mean, I think the ones that Scott rattled are, are pretty much uh, some of the best among the global thinkers. Uh, you can go back to the early 90s with folks like Tom Malone, uh, who's actually here at the Sloan School. Uh, but then when you get down into specific disciplines around the use of games, when you start thinking about gender, when you start thinking about design, when you start thinking about assessment, um, it's where it gets a little more complicated because whereas the likes of Henry and, and uh, Henry Jenkins and, and Jim G have become the elder statesmen uh, at some level, uh, Brenda Laurel even I think at a, at a certain level was yeah. uh, for pushing this very early on. Um, you get down into the, the real where the rubber hits the mode in specific disciplines, and there's a, a whole uh, there's actually a, you know very encouraging news that there's a growing uh, roster of scholars and and designers and people working in these areas. So uh, you end up with, uh, with with folks like Daniel Schwartz in the learning sciences who's really beginning to tackle the issues around assessment. Uh, you get to folks like uh, Yasmin Kafai at uh, and indeed Caperton, uh, both MIT Media Lab uh, alumna who alumnae I guess uh, who studied with Seymour Papert who look at design and have been talking about design for the last uh, well two decades now. Um, it, you know it it really again depends on how you're looking at it. 
uh, from a and, and then as well once you get down to the the, the classroom level and in, in supporting uh, you know how these things are are being used in the classroom. Mimi Ito uh, at the University of Southern California is another really great uh, scholar who's been funded by the MacArthur Foundation to look at the role of media in kids' lives, and she she has some very interesting perspectives. And the work that Reed Stevens is doing out of Northwestern is uh, is also. Uh, worth noting as well. And uh, our own other colleague, Aaron Crawford, is really doing most of the leading work on use of handheld games. So I was looking on uh, my browser, seeing if I could, uh, if there were websites specifically devoted to games and education, if there are conferences. It, it looks like there are presentations um, at, at the larger conferences, and maybe there are some specialty conferences around this. Yeah, I, I, a really tremendous resource because they've archived. There are two really good resources in this area. Um, one is the Games Learning and Society uh, uh, site at the University of Wisconsin. They're they're kind of the annual gathering uh, that's the most interdisciplinary. I think of all the people working in this, you get designers, producers, uh, technologists, uh, researchers, obviously teachers. Uh, they've got a, you know, Kurt and Constance and uh, 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 I'm blanking on the, the last name. Uh, there are several other colleagues at, at the University of Wisconsin. Schaefer, David Williams Schaefer. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're they've they've done some really great work in in kind of creating tracks and all of those uh, papers and. Uh, conference archives are, are there at their website. So people, all of the folks that we've just listed uh, or mentioned have been featured or uh, attend that. So that's a really great resource. Another one uh, to, to some degree is also what's happening at Games for Change. I think uh, Suzanne Segerman uh, has done some really great work in, in bringing uh, kind of the educational games into the activist game space. So there's uh, there's some wonderful games off of her site through her uh, her Games for Change Festival, which teachers could use very easily in the classroom to achieve a certain certain kinds of goals in climate change and uh, social studies, uh, those kinds of uh, those kinds of areas of the curriculum. Also, the uh, work that Sinclair has done over the years, the serious games movement and games for health are related. Um, the only, as you sort of move into other fields that are not strictly only focusing on education, sometimes there's um, sort of conflicting interests in terms of other approaches. Uh, like when you go to the serious games movement, that also includes people who are interested in corporate training and even advert gaming and stuff, uh, things that probably don't sort of match exactly what we're talking about with educational games, but it's still a really worthwhile space um, to be exploring if you're interested. So uh, I, I noticed in, in the, the thread where we've got some stuff going on about girl games, uh, Carrie Heater at M Michigan State has just uh, put together, compiled this uh, wonderful uh, research findings. Uh, it, it, it lists a whole, it, it's basically the, the closest thing to a full literature review of the different uh, issues that have been looked at in uh, games and technologies. Again, it's investigating uh, by Carrie Heater, so uh, you can look that up. I noticed uh, some of the threads uh, going on, uh, or some of the discussion in the chat is around uh, gender in computer games, but this is a really good resource. Okay, so let's open up for questions. This has been a really active chat, and I'm sure that there are, uh, are questions that, that went by that I didn't catch. 
So if you'd like to ask a question that hasn't been answered or you'd like to take the mic for any reason to make a comment, do click on the hand with the green arrow up and I'll give you the microphone. Or uh, go ahead and post your question in the chat again if we didn't see it and you'd like to ask it. Um, while we're waiting to see if anybody has a question. Um, there we go. Good. Chris, I'm going to give you the mic. Can you turn your microphone on? There you go. Uh, my question was, uh, how do you get students developing elements of your game, or do you just give them the game and get out? What I'm trying to do is get my students to develop game elements along with what they already have from me. Um, yeah, well, Alex can actually speak to this better. Uh, we really believe firmly in, uh, well, even if, even if design starts with us, we always do a lot of prototyping and working with students in terms of uh, assessing how it's working. Um, but we're going a, a step further in, in creating something called Design Core, which are really trying to involve interested, uh, particularly high school age students, um, in thinking about games uh, right at the beginning of the design process. And Alex can describe that a little better than I can. So. Yeah, and it, as a practical matter, uh, what, what we're trying to do is uh, create a, a national uh, panel uh, group of kids called design, you know, members of our design core. Uh, I understand, I think your question has two parts. One, what we do specifically, and then what you as a teacher could do to get these kids thinking about this. Um, let me answer first, uh, let me give the commercial for Design Corps. Um, we, we're, uh, we're trying to uh, build a group of kids who um, have a certain fluency uh, in being able to talk, about, uh, to talk about games, to understand different genre types, different uh, features, functionality, motivations, those kinds of uh, you know, things that are very specific to uh, being critical you know, commentators or evaluators of what's happening in games. And we bring them in to, uh, to do our testing, to do our help us with design, help us say, yeah, that's really fun, or no, that's not fun at all. So we're, we're building that group. Uh, in the classroom, um, it's interesting. One of the kids that I worked with over the summer, um, I had him doing uh, play testing on a, a series of commercial games that, that, uh, that we were looking at uh, in, in the educational kind of uh, uh, area. And uh, at the end of his week with us, I had him focus on designing a game uh, very specifically around what it would be like to be uh, in the uh, in the militia here in uh, in New England during the Revolutionary War. He was inspired, obviously, by Lexington and Concord and and what he's grown up with. Um, part of what he did was worked through all of the elements in terms of the motivation, the different scenarios, uh, even what it would look like, what some of the interface uh, pieces would be, some of the audio that he wanted in. Um, and he actually wrote up a one-page summary, a pitch, if you will, of, of what a game would look like to support what he, uh, what he had learned in the classroom over the, the course of the year. He took it home and, and uh, I guess showed his mom, who later contacted me, and, uh, and she gasped because she said, I didn't realize that Alex was going to have you do a writing assignment. And he, he just looked at her like in astonishment and said, uh, this wasn't a writing assignment. I was designing a game. So I think um, you know, if, we, if we get kids thinking about putting themselves uh, in that design chair, Scott Lichen designed to being the screenwriter. Uh, at the beginning of the call and what he does. 
that's, uh, that's, I think, an opportunity where uh, just as a very simple writing assignment, teachers who are trying to get their kids thinking about design, either individually or working as teams, can, can actually have that access. Um, and uh, it certainly helps teachers because it gives them greater insight to the, the types of genres and the types of uh, comparisons that kids um, are making between what they're learning and the things that they like to play in their, uh, in their free time. Lots of great chat going on. Uh, did you want to follow up on that any other way, anybody? Um, I'll just throw something back to them a little bit because a lot of what we've been talking about here has been on the development angle of what we do. And the design core kind of touches a little bit further into the whole network part of what it is that we're doing as, as the Learning Games Network. And um, that involves not just the development, but also now the student feedback into that development, and also some teacher and, and research elements to that, which I've also seen going up and down um, as far as the chat has been concerned. So um, Alex or, or Scott, if you want to you know, possibly get into a little bit, you know, we've got Sherry Wright, who is our um, teacher community coordinator, and we're also working to try to fit in the research angle to effectiveness of games and stuff like that within the full perspective of everything that we're, we're working on. Yeah, sorry, I, I was responding to uh, some of the chat uh, comments on uh, some, some programs that uh, teachers or teachers can use with their kids to create program, uh, to create games. Um, yeah, the network, uh, I, I also noticed in the chat uh, how you get teachers. Uh, one of our big philosophies with this network uh, that we're trying to inspire is, is that we're not necessarily building you know, a, a, a large-scale bricks-and-mortar uh, game development company by any stretch. Um, part of what we recognize, and, and it, it, I, I hope came across when we <laughs> when asked the simple question, who else is uh, is, uh, is good to read in this area. There are a lot of people out there doing work in this area, attacking what is a huge challenge in terms of the design, uh, production, use, scaling of these kinds of tools in classrooms. You know, uh, as much as uh, you know, it, we'd like it for it to, <laughs> there are days I would love for it to be a simple solution. There are a lot of people out there, and a lot of people uh, who will ultimately use them: teachers, students, parents, uh, lifelong learners, just-in-time learners, vocational learners, professional learners. There, there's a, a diversity of audiences out there, and to presume that we have the expertise to be able to to develop you know, product or inspire or inform product across uh, the board on a, a variety of these would be, uh, I think, a, a, a pretty foolish uh, position. So the network that we're trying to create is, is, a, is we really hope to serve as a hub, um, connecting research, researchers with uh, companies, connecting companies with um, market segments, uh, areas that, that there is uh, opportunity to make some inroads where there are some uh, places to do interesting experiments where costs can be contained, margins don't need, need to necessarily have to be as large for a, a, you know, a, a big company or a company to take a, a dive into the deep end of the pool on this. So, um, you know, in addition to the design core that we talked about, we're looking to get at uh, putting together a professional learning community for teachers. Uh, Sherry Wright, as Jeff uh, mentioned, is a, a actually helping to uh, organize that. Uh, that'll be both a combination of online and um, 
uh, location-based events, whether here in Boston or at other uh, in other parts of the country, depending on the kinds of uh, teachers and, and organizations that we par partner with. Um, we're, you know, obviously through games learning and society, we have a pretty strong uh, relationship. So, uh, doing some work uh, through through their the researcher network, et cetera, to to build what we're trying to do. But again, it's it's really to uh, try to un our our aim is to try to understand where all the different uh, work and threads are being done, and then serve as a as a hub at some level for uh, for for some interesting work, so that. Other people can make uh, make their own connections. Uh, kind of again, like what I'm seeing here in the chat is that that uh, that there are people who are clearly focused on very specific uh, interests in this. But uh, you know, it's we need more spaces like this uh, on what Steve has put together uh, with Classroom 2.0, and and uh, obviously what's happening in the in the game space at Games Learning Society. We need more spaces like this to aggregate these kinds of ideas and, and resources because right now it's it's spread out all over uh, all over the web. Okay, so we've only got a few minutes left and I've picked up four questions that I think people have asked in the chat uh, uh, hoping that they would get addressed. So I'm going to go through them quickly and you can take as much time as you'd like on each, but knowing that we do like to finish uh, at the top of the hour just to allow everybody the freedom to move on. We know everybody's busy. So uh, Mr. Raleigh asks two quick questions about gaming. What kind of games, board games, more simplistic games, are available for situations when the technological infrastructure does not exist to practically use video games? And then, as a follow-up, what is a reliable way of figuring out what students have picked up from the game? Um, I would uh, almost any game has some value. I would, I guess, if you're talking about uh, without tech, if you're talking about no technology, I would look for. Um, strategy games like war games. There, um, uh, sort of, uh, there's other kinds of strategy games like uh, trading games. Um, there's games for like building railroads or building um, like it was a medieval trading game. Games like that are really good at not only at history but also at sort of thinking about certain kinds of processes. Um, don't underestimate the value of good puzzles. Um, a game like Mastermind is great for logic. Um, there's lots of games like that. Uh, yeah, the other thing is that if you're thinking about literature, you can use a game as a as a sort of a starting point for kids to actually start doing creating fiction. Um, get them playing a good game, and then having them sort of start bu building their own fiction around that game. Um, time, uh, you know, obviously there's, they're uh, using math puzzles. There's lots of books about math math puzzles. Getting kids to do a puzzle together and talk about their thinking. I mean, the big thing about board games is you can really get kids to talk about their thinking and their strategizing while they play. So that's a really strong possibility. I will say that a lot of the things we're talking about now are are flash, which means all you need is a reasonable um, network connection. I know that you're, the question was about places where there isn't even that, but uh, at this point, I would say lots of people have network connections during at least parts of their day, and so. And I'm big about trying to lower that barrier by trying to stick mostly to technologies like Flash. Um, but, but as I said, the the, uh, the board games or the strategy game route also works. And let me also just put in a, a quick plug. Unfortunately, I think some of the more recent ones haven't gone out commercially. Although maybe if there's enough demand for them, she'll think about it. Brenda Brathwaite is a game uh, developer designer. 
Um, she was early on in computers. She was, I believe, the Wizardry series. Um, and she is now developing board games. One of the most recent ones called Train um, won all kinds of awards. And it is a board game, simple board game, whose idea is to teach the consequence, the, the emotional impact of, believe it or not, the um, concentration camps in World War II. Um, and uh, has won awards in this phenomenal. I don't know what other games she might have that would be commercially available. But um, again, I, I would hope that perhaps with enough demand they might decide to, to make some of them available, at least for the classroom. That, uh, the game that Jeff just mentioned is also uh, listed at Games for Change. I want to very quickly get to the assessment question that's come up, is how do you evaluate what students learn? Unfortunately, you know, again, we have to, in designing these things, think about the reporting features and, um, and how to help teachers get some insight into what is actually happening in the game and how uh, a student is progressing. I mean, ideally you want a learning game that's adapted to the student's performance. Um, and that's one of the things that we look at it in, in design. And we also look at the tools that we can enable to help teachers understand that. Um, but it's, it's a big area uh, in terms of being, being able to code, if you will, assessment that uh, can be held up against a lot of the traditional, uh, highly statistically based and modeled uh, assessments uh, that currently exist uh, you know, across the, the variety, uh, you know, variety of educational settings. So we're, we're, still at the, we're still in the very early, early stages of being able to properly be able to assess what's, what's happening in these things. But uh, again, people, again, Daniel Schwartz is one who's really thinking about this. Um, and Jim G as well, and Constance, and there's a group of people in that, that subset that we listed that if you start searching on assessment, this is, uh, this is an area that, that we all know has to be, uh, be focused and on. And I will just say that part of it is changing what we expect of an assessment. I think that, in fact, games are, simple performance in a game is telling us a lot. If we ask the game to be an assessment of some traditional, um, to look like a traditional assessment, it may not, but if we learn to look at the student's performance in a game and understand what that actually is exhibiting, uh, the game itself becomes the assessment. And I think we're going to end there. Uh, I'm going to use my clapping hand at the bottom of the participant window to express appreciation for Jeff, Alex, and Scott, and what's really been a fascinating hour. I hope you'll consider uh, letting me help you hold these kind of events. Uh, if, if there's a, a way in which I can be useful to you and as you're building community and you're trying to look for ways to organize people, do know that um, you have ready access to this illuminated environment and, uh, and whatever I can do with Classroom 2.0, I'd love to do for you. Uh, I want to thank Illuminate and um, Central for providing support for uh, futureofeducation.com. Also to thank you for coming tonight. Uh, it was an early show. We had a, a very good crowd even giving me early time. And appreciate um, uh, Alex and Scott dealing with a, a funky modem and uh, connection issues. Uh, I thought it went really, really well. Uh, I'm going to put up a link to a survey for tonight's show. Uh, it also comes up uh, when you exit the room. If you, uh, for Scott, Alex, and Jeff, please don't close that window down because if you do, it will close uh, people out while they're in the middle of the survey. And any final words from anybody before we close? 
No, again, Steve, on, on behalf of Scott and Jeff and I, thank you very much for having us. Um, you know, I'm just watching the chat scroll up, I wish that we had more of a time to more time to address those issues, but we would love to bring this group together uh, at various points to do some playtesting and uh, walkthroughs of the various games that we have in development. I think it would be really spectacular. I agree. There was, there was definitely some interest in having a student panel. So uh, Jeff, I'll look forward to connecting with you in some way, and then I think there was somebody in the chat who actually had worked with some students uh, in Florida uh, that might be able to come on. And I know Peggy would be probably interested in holding that as a Saturday show. Okay, so we uh, like to close so that, that uh, you know the time is uh, yours to move on. You're certainly welcome to stay and chat a little bit, um, and uh, but we want to make sure that our guests know that they are welcome to leave as well. Uh, within about 10 or 15 minutes, I will have to close the room out so the recording processes. There is a recording that will go out tomorrow, and uh, it will have both the full live session uh, and audio version and the chat. So the chat, uh, the full chat log will be available for you to look at later. Uh, wherever you saw the original link to the show. Thanks again, everybody, and have a great night. Thank you. Okay, we don't. Is anyone still there? Are you still there? I think you showed us up. So we might as well just try to leave our screen open for a little while. You are still live. We could hear some of that. You don't have to be if you don't want to, but. Um, I'm happy to keep the conversation. If there's any more conversation, I'm happy to stay with it for another few minutes. Uh, otherwise, uh, I'll turn my mic off. Well, let's see if any questions come in the chat. Feel free to uh, ask any questions if you'd like of Scott. Now, you'll have to read them to me because I can't can no longer see the chat screen. I, I'm here as well and can see the chat screen. Uh, yeah, we're we're actually both here in, in Cambridge. So uh, you know, if folks want to send us email or whatever, we our studio is uh, is just in the shadow of MIT. Randall's asking if you know anyone doing research on educational alternate reality games. Um, we're building one uh, over the next over the next year and a half. Um, but uh, and the only real the research on it hasn't been really around educational. Uh, the, the main work is um, is Jane McGonigal's work, and I don't think she's focused narrowly on education. Um, but uh, we're building one for middle school students that'll be live in spring of 2011, focusing on climate change um, in, in collaboration with the Smithsonian Institution. Scott Pedro is asking if you have any information on the success in the classroom according to the type of game, for example, immersive simulation, um, massive multiplayer, et cetera. Unless I'm unaware of um, of literature that has gone in that depth about it, uh, and there may be some stuff in the in the collection of uh, studies that Alex uh, showed earlier from from Michigan State, but. Um, I don't personally know of. Um, I've heard of successful applications of all of them, but they tend to be anecdotal studies, not um, not uh, scaled up studies. So I'm thinking that Ender's Game must be a book that a lot of people read and think about uh, gaming. Are there other works of fiction that uh, end up uh, kind of being touchstones like that might be? Movies, 
TV shows, anything like that? Uh, I, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the ones that, that uh, some areas of pop culture that, that we pointed to are, are the Matrix. I mean, the, the, the whole idea of what's happening, you know, the way that story is constructed. Um, there's another one, another Neil Stephen, uh, No Crash. Uh, is another really good one that people, I think that's Stevenson, yeah. right, uh, that, that people look at. Um, but those are, you know, those are pretty yeah. fantastic. Neuromancer. Neuromancer is great. Um, that was really the book that sort of visualized the net before there was a, uh, the web before there was a web, um, and that coined the term the matrix. Um, I, you know, there's, there's other interesting works of fiction that seem to me in some ways to be about games. I actually think Charlie Kaufman's films are sort of about gaming. Um, I, I, I love the film um, Adaptation, which doesn't, says nothing, but it doesn't explicitly say anything about games. But to me, that there's a gamer's mindset, um, and uh, being John Malkovich, too. If you go back and uh, if you go to henryjenkins.org, uh, back when Star Trek was released the, uh, in May, I think the weekend of May 8th or May 9th, uh, Henry posted a series of blog uh, entries there uh, on uh, you know, starting conversations around the new Star Trek film. And one of the threads that he talked about in highlighting uh, you know, a certain aspect of that, that film was uh, Spock's education and what, uh, what the vision of what's represented there uh, in the film by J.J. Abrams what that uh, suggests about the future of education, uh, all of the conversation around 21st century media, media literacy, media skills, or 21st century skills. Um, it's just a fun little thing to read, uh, uh, Henry's reaction or perspective on that if you're, you're looking for, uh, for something. Randall, last three. Go ahead. I, I just was going to say I see the uh, I see the Facebook question. Uh, are we working on any, any educational games in Facebook? Um, it's interesting. We have a relationship with NBC News around their IQ product. Uh, product. If you go to iqicue.com, uh, uh, that's a one part media archive, one part social network, and one part uh, games. Uh, that we've had some uh, some role in helping to design and refine. They actually have a very uh, a very uh, significant Facebook presence where you can actually uh, you test yourself or quiz yourself on knowledge around current events and history, uh, and challenge your friends by looking at these videos, these uh, video clips that they have. But uh, if you search for IQ or NBC News within the Facebook community, that's that's one of their most potent uh, little. Uh, applets or applications that they use. Um, certainly we see a lot of potential and uh, I think as we uh, expand our language learning platform and some other things that we're working with, uh, you know, as a content developer or as content developers uh, struggle with, you know, destination sites versus putting their content all over the place, uh, Facebook is obviously a place where we will begin to, to really design for uh, elements that we bring uh, where we can kind of tap the leverage and, and the population that exists there to, to not only create some casual and fun experiences within that Facebook, uh, that, that Facebook space, but also to bring people back to, to more structured and much larger uh, kinds of experiences. And I know that it's, it's at the top of mind of a lot of developers who are, who are working in this area.
Okay, good. Well, I'm going to encourage us to, to finish up now. Uh, believe yep. it or not, I have another session tonight. Uh, we're doing a long-distance session with Australia on open source software. So it would be helpful to me if we actually kind of close the room out uh, so the recording can process. Thanks again, um, Scott and Alex, for staying on and answering some additional questions. Uh, to exit the room, all you do is to uh, close the window or go up to file and exit. And uh, those of you who aren't out within a few minutes, I'll assume you've walked away from your computer, and I'll actually close the, the session out, um, which, which unfortunately kicks you out, but know that uh, there's no emotional uh, meaning in that, just that I had to, to close the room. So thanks again, both of you, and thanks everybody for coming tonight. Thank you.